Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book, or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down, or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read, then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh, and cry, or even disappointed us. It happens. (laughs) You can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at thestackedpod. Hi, hello. Hey. Hi, friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> I can't believe we're here recording on your birthday as well. I know. No, it's good. Yeah, the it's dedication, good. friend. Thank Look you. at you. Oh my God, workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it couldn't be me. <laughs> I'm screaming. I think because I'm a summer baby, like the, the thought of like working or doing anything on my birthday, I'm like, I don't do that. Yeah, no, it's true. I, but I love, I told you, I love going to school on my birthday. Yeah. The attention, handing out sweets. Yeah. <laughs> the attention. The attention. <laughs> so tell us what you're doing for your birthday. How are you celebrating? I'm just chilling. I, I took some time off and obviously having a dinner mm-hmm. later. Yeah, I love how I was um, like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, you're like, what are we, so what are you doing? <laughs> um, but my brother, Thomas, and his wife, Lauren, got me Crocs. Oh. And you know, it's something I I don't want to buy it for myself. Yeah, I just yeah. Wa- I just wanted them. You want them. I never mm-hmm. said anything, mm-hmm. but I did. They just knew. Yeah. <laughs> did they get you um little, what are they called gibbets as well? No, no, no. I, that's not me. Oh, uh, really? You not want to customize your Crocs? No. Oh, that's like half the fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> no. What about you? Yeah. No, I'm all good. I actually went out this weekend. What did you do? I just went out like to like a DJ set event club thing. Um, and you know, I literally. <laughs> Why are you? I feel like you're so old. proud of yourself. I like, am so I proud. actually went out. I went out, guys. <laughs> Hold for applause. To a DJ, you know, really cool. <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> I got in there and I was like, when was the last time I was like in this kind of environment? I felt 23 again. Love it. Honestly, it was so nice. Like my friend called me to say, I stayed out till 4am last night. And I was like, that's not... <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Good one. Mm. Good show. <laughs> that's where we are right now. Yeah, no, that's really where really I'm at showing our it. age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am 23. Yeah. No, no. I'm not afraid of getting older. You can be whoever you want to be, okay? I'm not afraid of getting yeah. older either. I feel no. like some people have like a real thing about it. I don't like when people say you're as young as you feel. Mm. You're as old as you are and that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. It doesn't mean anything. It's great to be alive and getting older. Yeah, I love that. It is great, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like you're getting to live. What is so bad about that? Can't complain. No, yeah, can't complain. Hey, so have you been reading anything, watching anything recently? You know, <laughs> I've literally just come off of an obsession with the penthouse. This this K drama oh. is my is my first and last K drama. Yeah, I was like, are you K drama girly? I didn't know that. First and first last, first and last, because every episode was one hour. Oh. There are about a thousand episodes. Yeah, I was staying up till four a.m. <laughs> yeah. doing too much. Yeah, but I was with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like K dramas are like a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I can't keep up. My mom tried to bring me into it, but I can see that I don't have the discipline yeah. to enjoy it the way that she does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, but funny. no, reading, I haven't been reading anything. I keep 
buying. Mm. Just buying and buying. That's half the fun. Maybe yeah. even 75% of it. Literally. <laughs> but someone recommended this book called Unwell Women. Oh, have you How heard did it? you not send that to me immediately? No, they, they recommended it in person. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Unwell She's dropping women. it off. The drop, of, the drop off is on Tuesday. Um, so yeah. I'm trying um, to find out all about that. Yeah, it's basically about how the health industry has completely failed us. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to reading that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. What about you? What have you been reading? Um, what have I been reading? I'm not reading at the moment, actually. <laughs> I'm just going to come Why out and Why are you proud? It. <laughs> Am I not allowed to be proud? You are, you are. <laughs> Everything I say this morning, you're like, and you Sorry, sound I'm, proud. I'm questioning you. <laughs> no, you live out yourself, your full self. But no, I'm not reading any kind of like novels. I've still been on like a poetry kick at the moment. I, I think it's that. like the, once we go into like the colder months, for like whatever reason, I love snuggling up with like a book of poetry and just... What are getting you, into it what um can you recommend so recently i've been reading a lot of june jordan oh, okay. which is a newly discovered like poet for me so kind of the same kind of vibe that i like so black obviously it's a black woman american i believe i love her name june jordan right mm. poetry already there born for it yeah literally So this week we're going to be talking about one of my favourite books of all time, and that is 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So essentially this book is a saga that details about seven generations of one family, the Buendia family, and it's a magic realist novel, which means that it takes place in a world that isn't very different from ours. The settings are similar, the world is similar, except for the fact that strange and supernatural events are kind of treated as expected and commonplace. So, for example, in 100 Years of Solitude, it's normal for, like, children to be born with pigtails. The entire town falls under, like, a mysterious sleep sickness that leaves them all with insomnia and amnesia. And then sometimes it just casually rains flowers. Honestly. No one questions it. That's fine. I didn't. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> I actually love Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah. You know, he was training to be a lawyer when he decided he wanted to be a writer. Re- oh, Amanda. Yeah. And his parents were like crying. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, if boy, if you don't, yeah. we have spent, we have 20 children. We have sent you to school. Yeah. You need to pay it back. <laughs> and you're going to what? Right. The funny thing is, obviously he did mm-hmm. pay. I'm sure he paid. I don't know if they lived long enough to see his success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Massive, massive fan. Um, so I think essentially the events of this book are supposed to be kind of like an allegory for the history of Colombia. Mm-hmm. So everything that the Buendia family kind of goes through on a micro level speaks to what Colombia was going through on a macro level, especially immediately or right before as well kind of like colonialism so we go into the colonialism and then like after as well okay yeah yeah so why did you choose this book so I chose this book or rather this book was so impactful to me because of my experience of reading it and funnily enough I think that's exactly what kind of makes it a love or hate kind of book because the experience of it 
for me was so like lengthy and immersive and like visceral so all these like aspects that people don't like about it that it's so long that so many of the characters have the exact same name or like a slight variation of the same name I loved all of that like especially with the whole same name thing Mm. I felt like because it's like one Jose another Jose another Aureliano another Arcadio it was almost like you had to focus, like you have to be focused in order to even understand or know what's going on. And like, I like a book that makes me work. I love that. Yeah. And he's not even making us work the way Toni Morrison makes no. us work. No, honestly, I feel like this is like a fun working. <laughs> I thought it was, I people, maybe because I expected it to be so hard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually found it quite easy. Mm. Because also the context in which he spoke about the characters, I immediately knew he who he was talking about. But I like that because it is... I love how they want to keep passing on these names. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then also, I feel like the repetition of the names also kind of speaks to like, or rather adds to this, one of the main themes of the book, which is kind of like solitude, right? The way this little town in Wakondo is just kind of completely separated from kind of the rest of Colombia. Yeah. <clears throat> like the the state or wherever they... Yeah. yeah. And then like the repetition of the names and the repetition of kind of like themes just kind of intensifies I think this feeling of solitariness and separatedness and mm. solitude and I do feel like it makes it feel like I have I have been reading this book for a hundred years and that's what everyone says exactly but like it was, you slog through it no a slog is that word feels negative because it feels <laughs> like I don't know it feels like I don't know how to describe what it feels like but mm-hmm. it's been the joy mm-hmm of my recent life <laughs> really as in to re- be reading this book yeah it's, it's been my pick me up it's yeah. been my like it was that is it refuge yeah because yeah. you can actually disappear into this book Di- listen you can disappear i'm in into my condo it. yeah when i open this book genuinely and that's exactly how i felt when i first read it i felt like i'm in this town i've lived with these people i too i'm 140 my house years old has been painted white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then blue. <laughs> I loved it all. So I've always felt like this book might be kind of like Marmite-like for that reason. But I think if you're someone who enjoys that kind of super immersive experience, then you'll enjoy it. Because I felt like for me, it was the first time when I was completely enamored by a book and completely taken up by it since I was reading like fantasy as a child you know it like reminded me of being like super into like Harry Potter or like Narnia that have like these fantastical worlds and like incredible world building but then because this is all the uh, 100 years of solitude is more magic realism you're in a familiar world but it's just like amazing things happen and the the other really I don't want to keep saying amazing, mm. but we can repeat No, we words. can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, one of the things I really loved is that, yes, it was a book that it felt like a kind of escape, mm. but it, it wasn't really because it's very robust, because it deals with very serious issues mm-hmm. and not in a tangential way, like it's at the heart of the story. Yeah. And so you're addressing these very important themes, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're also having this yeah like a magical experience mm-hmm. learning new words every second mm-hmm. i was the dictionary was there <laughs> this whole I, I don't think you can you walk away from reading this book your head is a bit bigger 100% i completely agree 
I think what I really enjoy about kind of like magic realism as well is just how it works as a post-colonial practice, like a post-colonial writing practice. Because I feel like it essentially provides this non-Western and non-rationalist way of seeing the world. You see it mostly pop up only in places that were like previously colonized and had this like Western viewpoint forced upon them. So, you know, they strip you of your own beliefs and they strip you of your own culture and your own way of seeing things. And then I think it's so cool that like after that, we find writers in like Africa or in South America who are writing these stories that offer different ways of seeing things. And they don't offer it as like, oh, oh, maybe it's this way. I love that they're just like, yes. And then it rained yellow flowers. Don't question me. Don't worry about it. No, <laughs> don't I, worry about it, sweetheart. <laughs> don't worry about it, sweetheart. <laughs> but I love that you say non-rationalist because I remember when I was in uni telling people about how I felt bad, I think, because I had almost handed my dad something with my left hand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but I quickly fixed it. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to a group of white people. And then one of them was like, that's such an arbitrary rule. Like, that's crazy. To you. But then I said, <laughs> but then I said to him that, what is the significance of shaking someone's hand when you meet them? Mm-hmm. There's so many arbitrary rules in, in cultures. Exactly. So I, I was just so happy that the, the thought came to me at the time. But <laughs> just the idea that you, from, from someone else's side, well, from a different culture, you can immediately look on something and think, oh, it's so arbitrary, so silly. But mm-hmm. you can't look at your own and see the arbitrariness in the ways yeah. that you interact with people. Because culture is arbitrary. Yeah, exactly. It is. Why do we wear earrings? Uh, no reason. Couldn't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks good, but it might look crazy to, to, to us. To us. Yeah, it looks good to us. Yeah, so then to impose rationality as a justification for doing, for like stripping people of culture mm-hmm. always feels... I'm going to say wicked. Oh, I was going to say racist. Go on then. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, exactly that, right? Because one of the reasons um, Gabriel Garcia, Garcia Marquez has spoken about being into magical realism or writing in this style was because he was influenced by his own grandmother, who, when he was growing up, sorry, would tell him stories and she would treat all these kind of, like, extraordinary and unexpected things about like ghosts and omens and like you know like just folk tales basically and she would tell them to him as if they were fact so when he grew up and he started writing he kind of like incorporated that that style yeah that style and also that way of like thinking and seeing things and like analyzing things into his writing you know Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really cool and it reminds me of like like you were saying as well like in African culture we do that a lot as well with folk tales where the lizard is the main character. Yeah. <laughs> the lizard is the main character. The drums are talking. The You know, there's like all sorts going on. And no one questions it. And I mean, even not even just like with stories, though. We have our own superstitions and our own belief systems. Like you can go to places, for example, in Malawi, where I'm from, and they have a completely different worldview and belief system to anything westernized. And then so I've always just kind of felt like what makes that less feasible than the kind of dominant Western perspective, other than the fact that it's what's been foisted upon us by colonialism, right? Yeah, literally. And even like speaking on African magic realism, because I think it is worth going into like some examples of that. For example, like a pretty famous one is the Amos Tutola, the poor wine drunk, 
drink good. Mm, yeah, the palm wine drink good. Yeah, love that. It. Love, love that. him. Love that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, which I think was based on Yoruba folk tales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Yoruba, as the Americans <laughs> would say. <laughs> Eurobian. <laughs> and then also like more contemporary wise we have people like ben okri who wrote the famished road which is prime example of like magical realism and also one of our favorites so we've mentioned a few episodes ago leslie nekarima what it means when a man falls from the sky an incredible short story collection that just spans so many Genre. So many genres. genres, genres so many genre? themes. Genre. <laughs> genre. Me creating a new word. New words. <laughs> new word alert. alert. New word alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, so those are other just like examples of, you know, magical realism as post-colonial practice, which is one of the things that I love the most about it. Were there oh, kind of any other authors yeah, that you enjoy as yeah. well, actually? Yeah, I was like, well, in terms of, obviously you've mentioned some really... Some, some African authors that we both love mm. but I also in terms of South America I really love Isabel Allende oh yeah I love House of the Spirits yes yes, yes. House of the Spirits should be in this season mm-hmm. but other, yeah. if, like if we brought in everything this season would never end it would have been 20 episodes long but <laughs> and also if you want to make friends read House of the Spirits yeah. every time I read it on the train people would come up to me mm-hmm. people would come up to me this book changed my life this book is everything just sometimes I'd be sitting and the person next to me would start reading over my shoulder. <laughs> that book is magic. We love House of the Spirits. Yeah. Yeah. So it has very similar also structure in terms mm-hmm. of following a family's yeah. generational mm-hmm. journey. Okay. So yeah, that was essentially why this book has been kind of so important and influential to me in my life. Not even just like the experience of reading it and loving it, but also I think the way that it validates alternative worldviews, like mm-hmm. how this style of writing like validates different belief systems, like as I said. Because, for example, I always think of it as like, if my grandmother or my great-great-grandmother was to write a book or to like write a story, this is the genre in which I think it would fall. Yeah. And there's something about that that I just really love. So this was like your first time reading it. And I know we've like, I'm just so happy to hear that like you enjoyed it. <laughs> like, honestly. No, but seriously. I want to I know what else you thought about it. So obviously I really enjoyed it, like I said. But the thing that was most, most impressed upon me was it was like, you know, when they moved to Macondo and they set it up mm. and Jose Arcadio Buendia is the kind of leader of the town, mm. but like benevolent leader. Mm. And there's a line, let me just get it. And it says, so basically everyone in the town has to come to him when they want to build a house. Mm. And there's a line that says the way that he decided the layout of the streets. So the layout of the streets and the location of the new houses was designed so that no one would enjoy privileges that everyone did not have. Mm. And I feel like as I became older, I've I've had a more socialist vision or like I've wanted... I've not been very happy with the way capitalism works mm-hmm. and I've veered towards socialism. Mm-hmm. But more and more, you start to give up and you start to feel like it's never going to happen. We're never going to have that. Yeah. People don't care. You just become a bit cynical. Yeah. And reading this and seeing how it could work mm-hmm. in practice mm-hmm. just encouraged me again. Mm-hmm. And, how, and how vision is so important. And how, like, because he uses, because he's using magical realism, how that feels like it puts emphasis on it, Mm -hmm. makes it even more beautiful, more 
I did feel more real. Mm. Nothing about what he said, I have a question. Felt unreal. Nothing yeah. felt, I never felt like. <laughs> sometimes, sure, pal. Yeah, sometimes I read books and I'm like, if someone asked me, well, what did you think? I thought it was unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't think that would ever happen. Yeah. Like I've said that about books before. Yeah. But in this case, I felt like, no, we can have a town where we all treat each other equally mm. and everyone has the privileges that the other has. Mm. It just felt very possible. Yeah. And I feel like when you want to achieve those kind of things, especially in this society that we're living in, you just need to have that kind of ambition and vision. And vision. And I felt like he gave me that again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I don't know if he's the main character because everyone felt like a main character. Yes, exactly. Honestly, I could be like Ursula's the main character. He'd be like, you know, Colonel Aureliana Wendy is the main character. Jose's the main character. Like all of them are so well fleshed out and so like intricately written. That they are all the main character. Everyone is the main character. You know, like how sometimes when people are posting on Instagram and everyone's captioned as main character energy, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm like, okay, but we can't all be the main character. <laughs> well, in a Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel, we are. All the main We character. are all the main character. Mm-hmm. But I did have a favorite character. Um, it was um, Aureliano, mm-hmm. the first. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> which one? The first. <laughs> the first. And I felt like the fact that he was so wise mm-hmm. and then he had this power where he could he had premonitions mm-hmm. so he didn't he couldn't see the future but he had a kind of indication about it mm-hmm. I love that that is connected to the wise person because I always think of wisdom as like that ability to think ahead mm-hmm. and like make a good choice based mm-hmm. on what kind of what is in, in front of you yeah and yeah I guess I admired him mm-hmm. and I kind of followed his behaviour through the story and wanted to emulate some of his characteristics. Mm-hmm. The way that he speaks to his mum. Like, he just seems like such a... <laughs> I don't know, like I told you, my one of my favourite lines is when a chapter opens saying, Colonel Aureliano fought about 35 or 37 battles and lost every single one. <laughs> but it didn't demean him mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I loved him. So those two things, I think, were my favourite things about this book and just the general experience like it yeah. is a joy to read this book it's so I don't want it to end mm-hmm. I did not want it I'm to like, end I'm like can we have another 100 years come I'll back go for it <laughs> 400 years of solitude I'll read it <laughs> I think my favourite character is Pilar actually I love her messy and not I her love sending it. a whore to sleep with her son yeah <laughs> in the dark of the night <laughs> I love that she was like I'm gonna have your daddy I'm gonna have you <laughs> And then you're going to want to have me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that for her. I love a messy queen. So we we also reached out to you guys to see what you thought about the book, A Hundred Years of Solitude. And Thomas has shared with us his thoughts. So, A Hundred Years of Solitude was one of my first introductions, if not my first introduction, to magical realism. And I think one of the things that really stood out for me in the book was the character depth, given the number of characters in the story. I remember being in like primary school or secondary school, being told, you know, when you when we used to do like English slang, like when you write stories, don't have too many characters. You know, try and keep it to just a few characters, keep it under five. But you have a book here where there's so much breadth of just character depth. This is almost like 
it really is a gen like you really are going through generations of a family and you know you have certain things that are just it's just constants um, I felt the mother Ursula I felt like she was just a constant throughout and I was almost part of I kind of contributed to the realism part of it because she's like isn't she meant to die by now <laughs> something like that but it was just a really sort of powerful book and I think it was yeah just a kind of book that I think makes you think about the generation of your own family and just really gets you involved I think I think even the way they sort of weaved in the political elements that were going on in their lives was really powerful and I thought the colonel was or, or, or the character that yeah brought something yeah brought something different outside of just I guess the family matters so um yeah no all around it was it was a really it was a really good book I really enjoyed it and I think I'd have to read it again to really just make sure I cover and, and and really get into all the different themes that were in there but it was really powerful I really enjoyed it yeah no I I agree completely agree I agree, especially on the point of feeling like you're following the generations of this family mm-hmm. and how oh, I, I love the this, there's a scene when the son of Jose Arcadio mm-hmm. Buendia Jr. So Aureliano. Sure. <laughs> Aureliano's brother who runs off with the gypsies. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, yes. He has a mm-hmm. son with Pilar. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he gets killed by the firing squad and before he dies he's thinking about why he's like this why he like why he became like this Mm -hmm. and yeah so it was so it was so interesting to see yeah how all the decisions of like the family before Mm -hmm. how it impacted the decisions and outcomes of the people in front and it's why generations and generations yeah and like how it when those things are negative you have generational trauma but when those things are positive I guess generational wealth, but I'm not just speaking about it in the sense of what's it called, in like like monetary, like monetary, terms. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I also completely agree with what Thomas just said about the depth given to these, like this multitude of characters, mm. which is I think one of the biggest feats of this book mm. that you can have a dozen different Aurelianos and they're all kind of individuals. So yeah, I really really enjoyed that about it as well. And it does make you think of like the your own generations and you know what might have come before you because I don't think I do that enough. Like think of I don't think of anything past like my grandparents. Do you? I do. I because of my Angelie. Um, my Angelie, whenever she's nervous, she'll she'll say things like, um, she'll imagine that when she's on stage and that she's in front of a, an audience and she has to perform, mm-hmm. she'll imagine that behind her are like the hundreds of people that love and support her and who have poured into their lives so that her life could be better or worse. Yeah. So she was like, she never like never feels alone because she always feels like those hundreds of people are standing yeah. with her. That's beautiful. And, oh, so like I have done that sometimes, thought mm-hmm. of all the... And I, when I talked to my grandma about like when she said, she said that one of the reasons she married her, my granddad was that he promised to send all her children to school. Mm. And like she made that choice yeah. and that choice has affected me. Yeah. And so sometimes I sit and I think about what has been given so that I can have. Mm-hmm. I haven't got to the place yet where I'm thinking about my children. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm still enjoying reaping my ancestors' yeah. sacrifices. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do think about that. Mm. Do you feel like you you don't think about it yet? Not enough, no. I think I need to think about that more because I think there's a lot of like power and strength in that. I think especially coming from like African cultures, we really believe in like ancestors, like as a active force in your life 
even now yeah. that they're not here because of like as you're saying their choices that have led to you know wherever we are at now but then also I feel like we still believe that they have some kind of like influence even from the other side yeah. as you would say yeah so yeah maybe I need to start offering up some libations yeah libations to the ancestors man maybe things will change <laughs> that's what <laughs> I need to find out about that <laughs> um, and we also have something from Shade. For her, the most influential thing about the book was the magical realism mm. and how this is distinct from science fiction mm. and fantasy. Yeah. And um, yeah, like there's a line in the book, I think you've kind of already referred to it or alluded to it, that it was a day mm. where it says it's raining. It's raining small yellow flowers. Small yellow flowers. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, it's, it's when I'm, I find that so interesting because I never have thought about it about the distinction between sci-fi, fantasy, and magical realism. Mm. I loved sci-fi mm-hmm. and science fiction. Mm. Yeah, but I've never like I've never really sat down and thought, oh, how are they different? And mm. and what's the importance in that difference? Mm-hmm. Or what do you think? What the difference between science fiction and fantasy? Yeah. Or no, sci- well, science fiction, fantasy, which I feel like are a bit closer. And yeah, then and then magical realism. realism. I think for me, the difference is in one, like the settings. So with like science fiction and fantasy, often you're going to be presented with a world that is completely different, you know? So it's not going to be like, oh, we're in Colombia. It's like we're in Narnia. You know, like we've gone through like some otherworldly portal and we've come out somewhere else or we've like stepped through like like the barrier platform nine three quarters, you know, we're like somewhere else. Mm. Whereas like magical realism is more like even like, for example, like, you know, Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Mm-hmm. I think that's magical realism to me yeah, because yeah. literally he's in bed and he just wakes up as a bug. That book is so scary. And it's like so funny to me because his first thought isn't like, oh my God, I'm a bug. How did this happen? It's like, oh my God, how am I going to get to work? (laughs) (laughs) So it's that kind of like element of strange things in just completely normal situations. That makes me feel that science fiction is actually closer to magical realism. Yeah, I would agree. Especially dystopian. Yeah, because when you get dystopian fiction and things like Octavia Butler um, and etc. So yeah, I think I would say that I think science fiction is like a little bit closer to magical realism as well in that aspect. Because basically I wanted to think about why... I wanted to think about... Yeah, that these things are different and distinct, but mm. what does each offer? Mm. What does it mean when you do it in the, when you use magical realism? What is happening when you're using science fiction? Mm. But mm. I don't, I actually don't know the answer. That's a really, really good question, though. Like that's a really interesting question. Like the the magical realism feels like because it feels like it could be now, mm. like it could be. There's no like flying planes, mm. but there is. Mm. It f- sometimes feels more encouraging. Mm. And then also, I think because like with magical realism, the only thing, the only things that are kind of like distorted are natural, if that makes sense. So it will be like the weather, like weird things happening or weird things happening like bodily to people versus like with science fiction where it's, more to do I think with like the differences in society does that make sense or it feels like how the development of 
yeah technology yeah yeah changes us exactly yeah you can't separate technology from like sci-fi actually that's a good point oh, so but like sometimes the, sci-fi has like an alien yeah dropping in mm-hmm. it's got like a little alien element but then i think also still that's like really important whereas like sci-fi deals with society and technology and like advancements and like what could this mean for us whereas like magical realism is more connected to the natural world i would say so it's so interesting to me yeah i actually would like that's to, a great question yeah but i actually don't have the answer to i don't think we need to have the answer yeah yeah that was a great question Okay, so now it's time for our book request segment where we give book requests as your book fairies, book agony aunts, whatever you want to call us. Just let us recommend books to you. (laughs) (laughs) So who have we got today, Amanda? We've got an overworked entrepreneur who doesn't Mm. always know how to let go and delegate. These are the problems I want in my life, actually. (laughs) Minus the overworked part. You just want your own business. Yeah, I want people to delegate to. (laughs) I think I'd be good at it. (laughs) So they're looking for a book that deals with navigating burnout. Okay. Okay. Because to be fair, I think not being able to like delegate or like being, I think also not being able to delegate also comes from like also being a perfectionist sometimes though. Because when you know your own levels, you know your own standards sometimes you're like am I gonna risk it and ask someone else to do it to what might be a lower standard I I also think when you're burnt out the idea of delegating giving clear instructions Mm. is another job yeah Mm. when you know that you could do it Mm -hmm. in 10 minutes but the problem is that you have to do 10 things it's all gonna add up yeah yeah but yeah this is a it's a tough one because it's also I mean yeah it's a tough one because like we, I think we have a complicated relationship with self-help books. Yeah, very complicated. Complicated. Um, and that being, I, I hate them personally. No, but even... <laughs> but Speaking for me? Speaking for me? No, but even beyond that, the you know, we've talked about the fact that a lot of self-help books are written by mm. white people. Mm-hmm. White men. White men. And people who have certain resources already that, from uh, privileged backgrounds yeah it's like I think sometimes self-help books feel like that Kim Kardashian snippet from the interview <laughs> just like, I've got a, I've got a piece of advice for women yeah, get said, off your ass and work, work. <laughs> nobody wants to work these days <laughs> and it's like that sometimes feels like is the message of yeah self-help books or they'll say um yeah just do this and and without kind of divulging that I also had yeah all the X, Y, Z support, money, mm-hmm. a room of my own mm-hmm. with big windows. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, what came to mind for you? So this is kind of cheating because I haven't actually read this book yet, but it's on my TBR. Because, you know, I'm very I'm very specific with these kind of like self-help leaning um, kind of books because of the reasons that we've just discussed now. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to let a white man tell me how to live my life. I'm sorry. We're living two different realities. But this one I found while looking up, like, you know, a new nonfiction read a while ago. And it's by two sisters, Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And it's called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. Mm. And what I really liked about it was the fact that it focuses on how burnout 
on how and why burnout can manifest for like female presenting people in society. So it has that kind of like layer to it because I don't think we take into account sexism as much when we talk about burnout like why women can get burnt out because it's not just because you're working hard it's because you're working hard at something that is already pushing you like pushing against you you know so I liked the fact that it was gonna explore that side of it and then also then go on to kind of give you ideas on how to manage that kind of stuff so I think that might be a good shout yeah Mm -hmm. I think that's a good shout and I was thinking this is by a white man <laughs> it's called Essentialism The mm. Disciplined Pursuit of Less yes by Greg McEwen yes I've heard it? of this no 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 oh. I've heard of it yeah I think mm. that will be really helpful but I think like we said all of these things have to be read through your own lens yeah exactly like, through your own context and yeah I don't I, I don't know that you'll ever find like a self-help book that will cover all, especially if you're black. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. even harder to find that. Um, but I think another way that I try to deal with these kind of things is look to people who I kind of want to be like or have gone through a, a journey similar to mine mm. and reached at a destination I hope to arrive at mm. and then find their autobiography or biography. And usually there are like useful tips in there or yeah. breakthrough moments for them yeah. that you can kind of emulate. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I found that really helpful, especially people like James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison. Yeah, I love to read about writers' autobiographies. Yeah. And also, did we almost make it through this episode without mentioning Toni Morrison? God. No, I think we, we mentioned her at the beginning. Oh, no, no do you know didn't. what, though? We didn't mention her, but mm-hmm. we, we should say that Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Toni Morrison were friends. Exactly. So, you know, just two Nobel laureates. Hanging about. <laughs> Just hanging out. <laughs> In Colombia. <laughs> Just chilling. Actually, interestingly enough, some of Toni Morrison's work is also considered or falls under the whole magical realism um, umbrella Agreed, as well. But yeah. we'll, we'll get into that later. I feel like Sula is, does that a bit. A bit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Okay. So we hope that those recommendations were helpful to you. And if not, well. No. No. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> no, he's well. Uh, it's just because I haven't read it, so I'm like, <laughs> well. Um, no, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. Not well. Okay, so let's get back to 100 Years of Solitude. I want to hear your main takeaway, friend. I think my main takeaway is that vision of um, an alternative Mm. society where we are all treated equally, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of like the division of resources Mm. and the kind of hope that that gives me Mm -hmm. to at least try to achieve the little that I can in my life. Because I feel like I just gave up and joined in the game the matrix <laughs> like if they said do you want to take the red pill or the blue? I was like give me the what's the color where you just keep going honestly you're asking the wrong person yeah give me the blue I don't know <laughs> I would have taken that one and just been like whatever I'm in the game <laughs> but after reading this I'd be like I'll take the red I'm guessing the red is the one that takes him to the weird alien looking world I hope you're right otherwise yeah <laughs> no but that okay. and also all the 10,000 new words that I learned mm-hmm. I wish I could just name a few. Hold on, I'm going to pull up my... Daggerotype. Daggerotype? Hold on. 
Why are they not coming to mind? It's because they're new and they're quite challenging. Well, I can't, I can't find them. They're in, <clears throat> I've handwritten them, guys, sorry. But yeah, the 10,000 new words that I learned, I'll be taking them away. <laughs> <laughs> those are coming with me <laughs> what about you uh, I think one of my biggest takeaways from it kind of goes back to the whole like post-colonial aspect of it I just love the thought of like writing as an act well not like obviously like it's an action but like I, lo- I love the thought of like writing back and I love the thought of like writing as revolution and writing to kind of like change a narrative and that's what I felt like he kind of did with 100 Years of Solitude mm. where he was offering an alternative viewpoint to Colombia's history through the life of this family and one thing that I really enjoy about that actually is like when writers do that whole thing where they're seemingly focusing on the micro but really the impl- like the implications of it are macro like on a macro level yeah Especially because you can feel so insignificant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you personally feel so insignificant and then you read something like this and you realise that, like, it's all a part of, like, oh, that's going to sound so All corny. matter matters. Yeah. <laughs> it's all a part of the bigger plan, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I really liked that about it. And even actually, just, like, as a really quick recommendation, I would say if you really liked this book, 100 Years of Solitude, I would really recommend Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. Because it's kind of much the same, but instead of like following generations of a family, it follows one person who kind of is born at exactly the stroke of midnight when India gains its independence. Wow. And then his life just kind of follows India's, like, because like with stuff like partition and like civil wars and all that kind of stuff. So it's like all the micro details of his life affect larger India so that one was really interesting I think it's the same themes also kind of post-colonial and magical realism as well anything can happen in that book and I love it I love it and it's like one of those like really thick she's thick she's thick (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's a really good um, recommendation if you have also read 100 Years of Solitude and you loved it oh thank you you are welcome Thank you so much for tuning in today. Next episode, we will be discussing... Beloved. Such a long time coming. Honestly, I've been looking forward to it from like the very beginning. I feel like I have to say Beloved by Toni Morrison, but if you don't oh, know yeah. who Beloved is by, then... Have you been listening? Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, join us while we dig in. Dig yeah, into Beloved. Dig into Beloved. And... We've kind of got like a little theme going on here as well because Beloved is considered to be one of Toni Morrison's more magical realist books. So I love that we're going to keep we're going to keep this conversation going into next week, essentially. And um, I think there's so much more to explore. Like I'm on excited. The topic. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so definitely make sure that you tune in for that one. And in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at The Stacked Pod. And yeah, please join our book community. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa. And me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound. This has been Stacked. And remember to pick up a book today. Yeah, pick up a book, guys. (laughs) Read. Read. Bye. Stacked is part of the ACAST Amplifier, in collaboration with CC Co. The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan, with production by II Studios.